1: Robots Radio presents You're listening to the Dungeons & Dragons Lorecast The best way for everyone from experienced dungeon masters To those curious about D&D To learn more about the worlds, creatures, and lore Of Dungeons & Dragons Hello and welcome to the Dungeons and Dragons Lorecast. My name is Sergio,
0: and I am Mary.
1: And I am sick as a dog. It's <laughs> it's that weather change. I, I don't it know.
0: Had to have been.
1: I don't know how it uh how it is it's in your neck of the woods, but down here in Texas, it went from hot as the Dickens to pretty darn cold. They
0: and, yeah, yeah yeah the temperature saw a state trooper and dropped real quick.
1: Right, and so if I if I sound a little stuffed up and snotty, that's because I am, dear listener. That's, that's because true. I am.
0: He he sounds terrible.
1: Thank you, I appreciate that. You're welcome. They, I
0: said it in the kindest way I possibly could.
1: Wow that that that's as kind as you could. You know, what, <laughs> you know what, let's just let's move on. Let's move on. We are here. We're not here for the the WebMD uh, Sergio uh, the Sergio cast. snot
0: circus yeah, situation. But-
1: we're here to talk some D&D lore, yes. and in, in particular, some Dragonlance lore, yes. and even more in particular, more specifically, we're going to finish up talking about the War of the Lance. Now, if you were able to secure the, uh, the pre-order from I'm D&D so Beyond, you will be getting, uh, as of the time of this recording, you will be getting your uh, early access to Shadow of the Dragon Queen in just a few scant days. Uh. And so Shadow of the Dragon Queen, as we said in the last episode, it takes place during the War of the Lance. So we mm-hmm. thought it would be apropos to discuss that time of history in Crin. So if you have not listened to our previous episode, jump back, listen to that one, get mm-hmm. yourself caught up, and, and then pick, a, pick up right right where we are now.
0: Exactly. We'll wait. Like, you can pause us and come back. Yeah, like, yeah, finish.
1: this is this, checking we, that out. We are in podcast form, which means we are everywhere, all at it's once. True. It's it's amazing. All the future the is now. It's true. So, The War of the Lance Part 2. When we last left our heroes and our villains. So, the dragon armies move in to occupy Tarsus. The companions seek to escape, but the end that they're staying at is destroyed, which separates them into two groups one group heading south to the ice wall to search for the dragon orb and the mm-hmm. other enlisted by alhana starbreeze to save her father in the twisted sylvanesti forest so now that sets the stage that the companions have been split so think it like um like the two towers you should uh, not in...
0: split the party
1: i mean that is traditional thinking yes but you know in some cases it, it it has to be done
0: has to be done i guess yeah
1: so this second group which consists of uh tanis half tika gold moon Riverwind, and the brothers Marger are rescued mm-hmm. by alhana starbreeze the daughter of lorak Caladon and her griffins so they like they can she convinces them to help her to aid her in freeing her father king lorak uh from the twisted realm of the sylvanesti forest if you remember from the first episode uh, he used the dragon orb, tried to control it, could not, and as a result mm-hmm. was sort of um, uh, corrupted by it. And and the nightmares right. that it produced literally like corrupted the land around him. So the heroes strike off east with the griffins dropping them off right outside these haunted woods. So they are caught in this nightmarish terrain of a forest, and the heroes are giving prophetic nightmares, each of them Uh, showing each of them their possible dooms and shaking them to their cores which i mean like i don't care how stiff you are i mean if i'm having dreams of like myself like dying in various different ways like i'm gonna be a little shook Uh for sure Uh (laughs)
0: uh-huh
1: but they're heroes absolutely so they struggle onward me i probably would have been like you know what i'm out i'm good you know i who knows maybe the shadow maybe the uh maybe the dragon queen maybe maybe the dark queen you know we'll right. see how it goes why not let's Check let's give her a shot you. but th- these are heroes and they struggle onward eventually managing to reach the heart of the forest where they discover king lorak caught by the magic of the dragon orb while the green dragon cyan bloodbane whispers nightmarish imagery into his ear taking ruthly yeah right what villain's gonna villain uh Best taking r- ruthless advantage of the king's spiritual connection with his homeland to twist the forest into this dark and dangerous domain okay so yeah like villain's gonna villain like the whole time it's again very much sort of like um uh was it theoden and wormtongue mm-hmm. in lord of the rings
0: mm-hmm. so Absolutely.
1: the heroes the heroes are able to release thorak from the grip of the dragon orb sending Cyan Bloodbane away from the forest and setting into motion the eventual liberation uh, from what is now known as Lorax nightmare. Uh, drained by what he has seen uh, and the relentless magic of the dragon orb, Lorax passes away and he asks his daughter to bury him in the forest. And by right of his, mag- his own personal magical knowledge, land mm-hmm. marger cl- lays claim to the dragon orb uh while alhana uh, gives the magical blade worm'sbane which is the twin to worm slayer to Tanis um as Tanis had had to leave worm slayer behind when the two when the when the party was separated when the party was split so he's right. like oh man I lost my badass sword and alhana is like oh, that's cool like here's another sword that kind of looks just like it
0: I have the exact same one. It's the exact same thing, so that you don't even have to update your sheet.
1: What? I mean, it's that's <laughs> that's uh that's like a good looking out from the DM if I ever heard one.
0: <laughs> that's exactly what I would do. I'd be like, it's identical.
1: I mean, you don't it's even kinda, have to update it. It's kind of like <laughs> one of those, um, like you roll like a, a a critical failure, like a fumble, and mm-hmm. on the fumble chart, like oh, you drop your weapon like down a canyon. And it's like, oh, man, like as a DM, you're like, oh, man, that, that, that kind of bums me out. Like, I, I really like wanted that player to have that weapon. Uh-huh. And so you totally pull this out. So I like it. <laughs> I mean, it's something I would do for sure.
0: It's Yeah, I was like, that's that's some me energy if I've ever heard it.
1: So. Um, so they regain their strength, they sort of, you know, kind of regroup and they mm-hmm. then travel to Port Balafour. Okay. So uh meanwhile, the other group, which um uh, Tasselhoff, Lint, and Sturm, as well mm-hmm. as Elistan, who is the one destined to become the first true cleric of Paladines ever since right. the Cataclysm, and the uh Quilinesti Elves, Gilthanus and Lorana, they're joined by covert, like down low, like on the low-key knights of the Salamnia. Who are led by a guy named Derek Crown Guard. And so they're they're like burning off to Icewall to find this Dragon Orb. Right. So they they reach a village of ice folk. Flint agrees to remain behind as sort of like a hostage in order for the tribe shaman, a fellow by the name of Raggard to serve as a guide to Icewall Castle for the others. Of so course. I mean, you know, it's like, hey, like, we don't know who you are, obviously, so we can't trust you. So Flint's like, hey, you know what, if it, I'll stay here. So obviously if they do something to him, then you still have, you have me, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
1: I mean, basic, you know, I, I don't know you, you don't know me, but, you know, let's we come to, to, to an agreement. together.
0: Let's let Let's make an accord.
1: Right. And so at first, uh, the shaman Ragart is actually jealous of Elistan's ability as a true cleric, but he mm-hmm. overcomes this jealousy. And presents Lorana with a Frost Reaver, which is this uh, strange great axe which glistens in the sunshine as though it was made from pure crystal. So very cool, really cool weapon. Yeah. Uh, as the heroes reach Icewall Castle, they discover what appears to be the corpse of a knight on the back of a dragon, wielding a strange lance. And at first, the party is convinced the knight is a renegade riding an evil dragon. But Sturm does not accept this belief. He like, you know, he's like, I I know, I know a renegade knight riding an evil dragon when I see one.
0: Right. I mean, who doesn't?
1: And this is reinforced by the fact that the dead knight seemingly passes Sturm the Lance despite being frozen in solid ice. Oh. So, you know, it's like, you know, why else would he do that? So meanwhile, back at the ice folk camp, you know, where where Flint is, you know, Right. More or less, like technically, not technically, like being held hostage. uh, A massive force of thanoi, which I didn't, I had no familiarity before I read this on the thanoi, but Mm -hmm. they're a barbarian race of walrus folk.
0: That sounds fantastic.
1: And between uh, them and the GIF, they are now like, oh, like more like big, blubbery, like, animal folk like that please
0: I'm here for it I want I, them yeah. all. I want all of the animal folk
1: I want hippo folk I want walrus mm-hmm, folk mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. want them all
0: every bit of it uh,
1: but they are working for the dragon armies they attack the village and of course Flint aids them in their defense successfully chasing them off and so kind of endears himself to the people there <laughs> meanwhile in the castle the group is confronted by the dark elf and the renegade wizard the White Dragon High Lord. If you remember, there are five different dragon armies, one mm-hmm. for each of the chromatic dragons, and uh, each of them has a High Lord in charge of it. And okay. this one is the one that's in charge of the White, dra- or the white Dragon Army. Um, Derek, Crown Guard's knight companions, like the the, the Knights of Salamnia that he heads up, they're killed by the High Lord, but Loran is able to defeat him using the Frost Reaver. Uh the heroes recover the dragon orb hidden within the castle and make their way for Urgoth aboard a ship, but they're but it's attacked by a white dragon known as Sleet, whose icy breath is uh causes the ship to founder and run aground the coastline of southern Ergoth. Gosh. Yeah, so I mean it's just like out of the you know, out of the skillet into the fire. Um just- At this point, they're taking another, right? It's just one thing after. (laughs) Exactly. It's just, I mean, I mean, it has to be right. It's
0: glorious. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's amazing.
1: I mean, and I, it, it does feel the, it does feel like a, a campaign because that's exactly what it was. I mean, this is the like novelization of the modules. Like if you were to play the original Dragonlance modules, you would be playing like these events. And this Mm -hmm. is simply like. The I guess the official version of what happened,
0: right? Like master copy of what happened,
1: right, right. And so, uh, while they, you know, while they're in southern Urgoth, they are taken captive by the Sylvanesti elves, a group of refugees of them. But once Lorana identifies herself as a Qualanesti elf princess, a Kagonesti healer named Silvara is tasked with escorting them to Qualamori the home of the outcast, Qualinesti court. There Lorana and her brother, Gilthanas are are reunited with their father, speaker of the sun, Solostarin, and their other brother, Porthios. Uh, Gilthanas is welcomed as a hero, uh, but Lorana is not so much. Uh, She's sort of treated as a pariah uh, because she apparently ran away from Qualinust in the middle of the night to go after Tannis, half-elven, who she is in love with.
0: Of course, she abandoned her duty, so now she's not, yeah. Regardless of everything else she's done.
1: Right, like, but that one thing you did, that one time. That one thing
0: was a mm, problem.
1: No, that That one one thing. thing a
0: long time ago.
1: We're not going to forget that.
0: mm, Never.
1: So, you know, they show up, and they still have the dragon orb with them, and of course the Quelanesti claim them, or claim the dragon orb, you know, for themselves in the name of they... in the name of the elves, along with mm-hmm. Worm Slayer. Uh, which is like, what? Like this this is my sword. I like these are this is our dragon orb. Like we killed a dragon arm like a dragon high lord for this. Uh we worked hard for this. Right. Thanks. Um uh heart sick and realizing that the elves uh should not control the dragon orb, Lorana gathers her allies and they steal it away. Good. Meanwhile, Silvara, the healer, tricks Derek Crownguard and Sturm Brightblade into leaving the group, taking the dragon orb with them as they head for a nearby Salamnic outpost. And at the same time, Silvara leads the others towards the mysterious Fog Haven Vale, which is interesting because it's like, why are you trying to, like, why are you trying to like get them into this? potentially dangerous situation yeah and along the way Silvara and lorana's brother fall in love gilthanas oh. and Silvara. you know i mean i can understand that you're walking along a spooky trail mm-hmm. you know there's mm-hmm. this silver-haired healer uh you know you get the talking you get to fall in love you know i can see that happening
0: absolutely
1: but lorana is you know at I mean she's not about this this healer at all like not yeah, trusting no. Silvara at all mm-hmm. and that just increases as they get closer to the veil. And so once past the mystical defenses of Foghaven Vale the group finds themselves standing before the legendary dragon monument the tomb of Huma Dragonbane. Mm-hmm. Now this is the the fella who took down Tekis last time. And so this is sort of a big deal.
0: Right, right.
1: In Huma's tomb, Silvara casts a spell upon the group, placing them in a sort of enchanted slumber. But our our good friend Tasselhoff, that little sneaky kinder... Love uh, it. He manages to escape the spell by concealing himself beneath Huma's massive shield and then finds a hidden tunnel that takes him deep into the dragon monument where he emerges into a chamber and finds himself face-to-face with none other than Fizbin. Yes. Remember, they never dude. found a body.
0: because he wasn't dead. No body, no
1: crime. No body, no crime. Of course, the Kender is shocked but overjoyed to find out that his right. buddy Fizbin's alive and is then directed by Fizbin to notice the murals that depict Knight's mounted on the back of metallic hued dragons, you know, presumably the metallic dragon, the good metallic dragons of light, right, as opposed to the chromatic dragons of darkness. Of course. And together Fisben and Tasselhoff return to the chamber where the heroes slumber and where Silvara seems to be caught up in a terrible conundrum standing amongst the sleeping bodies.
0: You mean she wasn't trustworthy?
1: Shock of shocks. I know. I'm
0: shocked. To my very core.
1: You sound shocked. You don't sound (laughs) at all like like it's sarcasm.
0: I never sound sarcastic.
1: Uh, So Fizben sternly orders her to release a spell and tells them the truth. And reluctantly, Silvara reveals her true identity. As the silver dragon, <gasps> Dargent, sister to the same silver dragon that was loved by Huma Dragon Bane. So it wasn't that she wasn't untrustworthy, it was that she was hiding a secret. And that's like, a big secret. It's a, yeah, and, and it was one that big, you know, was obviously uh, had to be kept. And yeah. so Gilfanis is kind of like freaked out by this. And that mm-hmm. kind of like drives a wedge between them. Cause he was like, oh man, I thought you were like this like hot silver haired chick. And now you're a dragon. I don't know. Turns
0: out you're a I dragon. mean, I'm not going to yuck sure anyone's yum, but that, you know, that's not my but... thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: So understandably so. Um, gathering her courage, Silvara, a.k.a. Dargent, teaches mm-hmm. Theros, Ironfeld the uh, the Smithy how to create dragon lances like the lance that they discovered in Icewall castle and this this crucial moment is one one part of where the the tide begins to turn mm-hmm. and then moving into the year 352 AC uh, Derek Crown guard and stern brightblade reached a Salamic outpost uh, with the dragon orb. And Derek, again, you might you thought he was a good dude, thought he might have been cool. He attempts he, to take complete like you know uh credit for the victory of, for the recovery of the dragon orb.
0: Yeah, he totally did it. It was all him.
1: And not only does he do that, but at the same time, he like levels serious charges of dishonor against Sturm in order to discredit him. So he's like, Oh man, I got this dragon orb all by myself also that guy is like a traitor or whatever he stinks uh he doesn't wipe well after number two uh whatever he says
0: <laughs> it's the best that's like the worst kind of slander i've ever heard in my I life i mean
1: that's how i usually discredit people and it, it, it usually works
0: <laughs> is it you that it works on discrediting though or other guy? i mean
1: if i say it enough i'll believe it
0: that's fair
1: And so during the trial, it is revealed that Sturm Brightblade is not, in (laughs) fact, a Knight of Salamnia, nor does he have the right to wear his father's armor. And so, like, you know, obviously, like, what Derek Crownguard was, you know, the, the charges he had leveled against him, well, they weren't entirely true. There was, like, some facet of it that ended up being... Truth, because you know he Sturm is running around saying that he's a knight of Salamnia when he isn't, in fact. However, upon the oath and trust of the Grand Master of the Knights, whose name is Gunther Uth Wiston, Sturm is cleared of the charges of dishonored and granted interim status as a knight of the Crown until the matter is settled.
0: Oh, good.
1: So it's one of those things like, okay, you lied about being a knight, but you've obviously. Have proven yourself in many ways since then. So let's just let's just pump the brakes. You know, let's figure all this out with the dragons and the the dark queen. And if we're all alive at the end of it, then we'll settle it. Perfect. And so Sturm is placed under Crown Guard's command, and they go and fight the dragon armies. Um, later on. With Lorana's testimony, Sturm is eventually cleared of all charges of dishonor permanently.
0: As he should be.
1: Right. So in Port Balafor, the companions stay in the Pig and Whistle Tavern, trying to figure out how to get closer to the enemy. And while they're there, they discover amongst themselves numerous talents. Uh, So Raceland performs uh, pre-pre-pre, I can never say this word, prestigitation. There we go. Oh, yeah. i always want to say pre and i'm like that's not how you say that one precedent Prestiditi- uh press digitation to
0: digitation
1: press the digitation <laughs> <laughs> uh tika tika can dance gold moon can sing and Riverwind plays a flute and caraman performs act of, acts of physical strength so he's like a strong man i and- love it I mean, thus is born the traveling sideshow known as the Red Wizard's Wonderful Illusions. I like it. And so they essentially become like a act, which is awesome.
0: Yeah, that's that's like that's that's not a bad uh, that's not a bad wrap up.
1: I mean, it's not a bad hustle, but it's not not a bad hustle. Not it's not just a hustle, but they're able to use this this ruse, this guy's to not only earn money, but travel safely to Flotsam, wow. which is behind enemy lines, which is where they're trying to get to in the first place.
0: Hack and sneaky.
1: Hack and sneaky. I love so, it. Goldmoon is able to pass on word of the true gods to a populace mm-hmm. desperate for hope. And true clerics of light begin appearing across Anselin once again. In small numbers at first, but eventually in greater and greater numbers. Okay. So like I said, the tide is beginning to turn mm-hmm. very slowly. Uh, representatives from the remaining free nations, essentially like everyone who has not been conquered by the Dark Queen and, and her dragon armies, gather on San Crist at the White Stone Glade to forge an uneasy alliance. And the two artifacts, the Dragonlance and the Dragon Orb, are brought there. Unfortunately, arguments over who will control the Dragon Orb uh mm-hmm. begin obviously you know, it's such a, it's a you know it's yeah <laughs> yeah you know it's a it's a weapon of mass destruction obviously and mm-hmm. you know so the Sylvanesti are arguing the qualinesti are arguing the salamnix are arguing until a fed up tasselhoff burfoot just darts out takes up the dragon orb and shatters it against the legendary white stone so he he sees that like hey no one it's no one here is it wants is going to use this in the best way possible like they're mm-hmm. going to use it for their own gains. Yep. If you and guys so can't at,
0: play nice. I'm going to take it away from you.
1: Right. I'm gonna I'm gonna take my castle, Grayskull, and I'm gonna go home. Yeah. So as the enraged attendees turn against the Kender a brilliant silver lance pierces the air, embedding itself with violent force in the otherwise indestructible white stone. This lance is a dragon lance. And it was forged and thrown by Theros Ironfeld. And this is the first dragon lance known to have been forged since Huma's time. So we've got clerics returning right we've got dragon lances beginning to get forged
0: mm-hmm. we've mm-hmm.
1: got this idea that there are good dragons out there that can mm-hmm. combat the evil chromatic dragons of course and so this is a time that the forces of the Whitestone Council realize that they can strike back at the dragon armies
0: Our opportunity you gotta take it when you can
1: Exactly. So when Tannis and others arrive in Flotsam, a city that is controlled by dragon armies, uh, Tannis and Cameron acquire sets of armor worn by officers in the dragon armies. The old okie doke, you know, like knock out oh, yeah. two guards and put on their clothes. Yep. When Tannis is set upon by an elf who mistakenly attacks him, believing that Tannis is, you know, in, you know a part of the evil army the half elf is saved by the commander of the blue dragon army the blue dragon army high lord who is none other than Kitiara uth matar his former lover
0: ugh oh, of course
1: and it's believing <laughs> believing tanis is now a member of the dragon army Kitiara invites tanis along with her and the two resume their love affair oh. so it seems tannis did it all for the nookie
0: come on
1: so i mean i but how does that play out though how does all that play out we will talk about that when we return from the middle of the show where of course we do all of our usual middle of the show things Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. like i said when we come back we will discuss the ending of the war of the lance
0: you will have your
1: answers Welcome to the middle of the show. Well, we've still got a lot of War of the Lance to get to. So let's just dive right into what we do here in the middle of the show, Mary.
0: Yes. Yeah, so we are going to start with thanking our patrons. You guys are awesome, absolutely amazing. The amount of support that you guys continue to give us makes it possible for us to do what we do here, which is talk about nerd stuff with you like what's better than that right um so if you're not i I am willing
1: to say it when no one else will but nerd stuff is the best
0: it is it is the best stuff so if you're not a patron yet and you want to be um you can go check out the different tiers and options we have at patreon.com slash dnd lorecast you can find us on Twitter at DD Lorecast. You can also find us on, um, you know, just shoot us an email at DD Lorecast, Um, it's at gmail.com, excuse me. Um, or in the robots radio discord. We have a Dungeons and Dragons Lorecast channel. We are literally there all the time. I'm starting to think that either one of us like neither of us sleep we just inhale and exhale d and that's what keeps us going i mean i know that's what's been keeping me going
1: i mean i i i don't sleep because as a philosopher mm-hmm, once mm-hmm. said by the name of nostradamus mm-hmm, he mm-hmm. once said sleeping is the cousin of death oh and so, also, I have really bad ADHD. And I, <laughs> That's what my excuse was. And uh, sometimes I just forget to sleep. Sometimes I just get like fall down some lore rabbit hole, and then it's like, and oh, it's like, two a.m. I should I,
0: sleep. I have to get up in an hour. Yeah. Oh
1: no. I, Oh, I have to be up at seven I have to go adult because too. yeah, I, yeah, because I have adult stuff to do. <laughs> uh, um. So yeah. So not yes. not not this like very like you know you know very like high-minded like philosophy or anything like i just i got i got a touch of the adhd got a touch of the adhd that's same and sometimes i get caught reading vampire like second vampire the masquerade second edition source books until 3 a.m it happens it I don't happens tell you.
0: that's that's just that's how it is being vulnerable out here you know sharing
1: this is i'm, I'm opening <laughs> up myself for the I first love- time to to the Lorecast cast audience and it feels good <laughs>
0: Good. I'm glad you've admitted that. I have no problems admitting I have the ADHD and can't sit still.
1: <laughs> oh, I mean, it's. I mean, and it's, and that. But I mean, I think that's like why I love lore so much. I mean, there I mean, mm-hmm. like not so much like why I love lore, but also like you know why that love of lore is you know is facilitated in in the way that oh, it for has sure. because oh,
0: absolutely
1: like I can just hone in on. Like someone's Hyper like hey, focus
0: like, it's a superpower sometimes
1: absolutely it's like someone tells <laughs> you like oh hey like how about you know this character or this uh this uh this race of people or this race of creature and yeah, i will find out yep yeah, let's find out like oh let's there's a source book and, and then this ties into this over here and they're sort of mentioned in there which is interesting because they usually don't exist over there but anyway
0: what things happen speaking of which let's Discuss a magic item, and since we're talking, you know, the lance, let's talk about a dragon lance magic item. This is actual content, not created by me. Um, I decided to go with the Gully Dwarf's Emerald, um, also known as Bupu's Emerald. Um, these can be found all throughout Um Ansalon. They were created by Racelyn Majer out of a sense of kinship towards the weaker dwarves, um, although their true creator is not actually known. Um, these emeralds appear to be normal, flawless, perfect emeralds, about the size of a of a large coin, and has magic spells in it. It has instant summons, non-detection, suggestion, and finger of death. So now, this emerald can be used finger um, of death. Right. That sounds... sounds awesome. <laughs> sounds like a metal band name.
1: Yeah, or at least like a, at least a song title. For a sure. song
0: title, yeah. <laughs> Opening with "Finger of Death." that that's got to be your closer, right?
1: I mean, it depends. It depends on you know, right? Like how, like the where it stands in terms yeah. of the audience, you know. But yeah. for sure, like you know, like thank you. This next one is called "Finger of Finger Death." Of death
0: right i love it (laughs) so this emerald um has power within it that when it is used um as when it's offered to someone as a as a bribe um the person who is being offered that bribe will be overwhelmed by the desire and need to possess that emerald giving it you know, it, it it causes them to give in to any suggestion given to them. Like they want it that badly. Once it's given to them, they either die instantly or become paralyzed in fear, allowing um, the giver to escape from them. So like, Hey, I'll give you this. If you'll, you know, let me go. Guard's going to be like, Oh yeah, no, I got to have that. I, I have to have it. And either gonna be dead
1: okay i will let you go
0: you could yeah that's fine go ahead um these could be owned by anyone um although smaller creatures such as gully dwarves tender and gnomes are usually the only ones the emerald magic will work with so one of these smaller races you could hand one of those out to one of your tiny little friends in a campaign and let them wreak havoc
1: (laughs) Yeah. And it's, you know, it's obviously it's, it finds its origins in Dragonlance, but there's Mm -hmm. nothing uh, specific to the campaign setting that, you know, the Holden's that to stay there, it could be used anywhere. So it could be plugged in
0: wherever. I like that one.
1: Uh, Go ahead.
0: I was going to say, you had told me there was a rumor you wanted to talk about.
1: Yes, there was a rumor. We were were gossiping. We were, we were spilling spilling some tea. tea. Um, it's an unconfirmed rumor that mm-hmm. comes, um, by the way of a, uh, a YouTuber, uh, by the name of, um, Instructo Boy, a uh, very popular on YouTube, uh, okay. and has this rumor from a credible source that obviously unable to reveal due to legal reasons. But the rumor is that, uh, Wizards of the Coast does not plan on continuing the open game license, uh moving forward into what will you know what is now known as one what is currently known as one d and d so essentially uh the o g l the 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 open game license allows uh third party uh third party people companies anyone to to right. create content using the rule set for that game which is you know essentially homebrew like if you buy homebrew. if you buy anything from cobalt press Mm-hmm. or um uh, mcdm or from or even um paizo you know paizo um just released uh a uh uh reissue of their kingmaker adventure path mm-hmm. and they included a 5e uh you know uh bestiary to include so you can um so you can sort of uh play that with fifth edition rules if need be if you wanted to right. um And so, like I said, that would essentially put the kibosh on that. And that's, I don't see how that is a good idea in in, the least. I'm
0: inclined to agree. I was actually just talking to a friend of mine yesterday. I was talking to Mello, who's been a guest on our show before. And we were discussing um, one of the things that we love about D&D being that home brewing, sampling from so many different places and the open-ended aspect of it that allows for more creativity is actually one of the one a huge huge pull for me because I'm I'm a very creative what if kind of
1: person yeah so that to me
0: just kind of feels it feels like gatekeeping a little bit
1: and, you know, that isn't to say that you couldn't still homebrew, right. you can still play one D&D or whatever it's called, right. D&D 6th edition, 5.5, We're whatever. We're going to end up
0: calling it 6th edition or 5.5.
1: But at the same time, like there are companies that employ people that do this, you know, that that make their living doing this. And yeah. a lot of companies are, are great at doing this, you know, <laughs> that a lot of companies that I I support that I have books on my shelf from them because- yeah. You know, I want to support that kind of creativity and that kind mm-hmm. of, and, and that foster that sense of community. That, like, you know, we are all playing this game that we love, and we're all finding new and exciting ways to play it. And so, I hope mm-hmm. that this rumor is not true in the least, um, because it's, I, it's, it's, going to, it's going to pretty much put the death nail in a major aspect of what I love about D anD. d
0: Yeah, it's it's very that doesn't seem like a smart move move for community building or for unity which is no, supposed it, it to be absolutely also a doesn't big push inclusiveness because then it just kind of takes away a very creative very important aspect of it i think
1: and that's you know all the more evident by the fact that we have a we have a feature every episode called the dm's guild corner mm-hmm. of the week where we talk about some of the best homebrew that is available. And this week we're talking about Prothero's Guide to Spell Weavery. For 1995, you get 130 pages with detailed guidelines and lore that will help you grasp the concept of magic at its core, as well as incorporate it into your adventures and world building, whether you're a beginner or an experienced storyteller. Hmm. So what this is, is a complete codex that deals with the broad concept of magic, delving into detail over each and every one of the aspects that compose it. You know, from fundamental basics to new arcane lore, as well as rules and tools for both players and GMs. The contents of the book have been designed to enchant your stories with a spark of wonder. So you've got uh 50 new spells, 35 new magic items, uh more than 70 new potions, elixirs, stuff like that. Goodness. Uh No, yeah, it's um That sounds
0: like a thick boy.
1: It's I mean, it's it's awesome. It's uh it's got a five-star rating. Ooh. Uh it's uh already oh, a yeah. silver seller. It got it became a silver seller in less than a day. And uh, yeah, it it's, it looks it looks fantastic. The art is great. the the layouts look really nice. Um, But so yeah, check it out. There's of course a link in the show notes to that. And, you know, like the, the folks behind this, you know, wouldn't be able to, you know, make, make money like, and then, and and not to say that the only reason to create content like this is to make money, but no, but there are some
0: people that it has become that for them as well i just i no. wonder if it would bar any previous things that had been created or anything moving forward with the new system of rules
1: it would just be with the new system More oh, than likely. well i mean but still i mean it's like you know it's
0: still not not a good look i don't think
1: and you know like as for 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 folks that are you know creating content like this like i mm-hmm. want to you know if if they are if they're wanting to be paid you know monetarily then that's how i want yeah. to help them out you know if they if they're just doing it for love of the game and just want to put their name out there then by all means i'll shout their name from the rooftops but you know if they're trying to put a little you know uh, silver or gold in their pocket then by all means right. you know i will help facilitate that but yeah this looks fantastic it's really cool and just you know we talk about magic items every week as well and yeah. so this seemed like a really cool uh, and uh, it's relatively new as well. So a uh, really cool and relatively new uh, piece of nice. content on the DMs Guild. Nice. So that being said, let's go ahead and finish up the War of yes. the Lance.
0: Yes, finish telling us the story. I need to know.
1: Welcome back as we dive into the final act of the War of the Lance. Let's dive right back in. So the year is 352 AC. In early spring, the Blue Dragon Army besieges the uh, High Cleric's Tower near Palanthas and Lorana, who has been named Golden General, aids in the defense of the tower. But the Blue Dragon Army seems too powerful to be defeated, until tasselhoff discovers another dragon orb within the tower and now with his fancy fancy spectacles his glasses of the arcanist the Kender is able to translate the language of the orb and reluctantly gives that information to lorana so what does lorana do with this dragon orb well she uses it and reveals the deadly secret of the tower that it had actually been built and modified to serve as a death trap against attacking dragons. And so with that knowledge, they're able to turn the tide of this battle. However, regrettably, Sturm Brightblade dies in one-on-one battle against the dragon high lord of the blue dragon army, who reveals her true identity to Lorana when Lorana rushes to the side of the fallen Brightblade. And who is the dragon high lord of the blue dragon army? Kitiara. Kitiara taunts Lorana with the news of Tannis, like, "Uh uh-huh, I got your man, while giving her three days to bury their dead, which that's like some, like, a villain's gonna villain, and that's like some real villain type stuff right there.
0: That really is. We've already won, but I'll be kind and let you at least bury your dead.
1: Like, I'll be back. Yeah, I'll be back in 72 hours to kill the rest of you. Also, like, I got you. Boom, I got got your boyfriend. Boom, I got your man. (sighs) Rude. So meanwhile, while Kitiara is away in Palanthus during this battle, Tannis returns to the inn where his companions are staying, and he convinces them to leave Flotsam quickly before Kitiara can discover their whereabouts. So they board a ship, and it's there that Tannis discovers that the helman uh, is a mysterious guy named Barum, and the dragon armies the dragon army seem to be searching for him, and he's not exactly sure why. So, but anyways, the companions flee Flotsam, but unfortunately, Kittiyara has, has been having Tannis followed, not completely trusting her half elven lovers quote-unquote conversion to the dark queen mm. i mean because what is a villain if not you know super paranoid right
0: oh yeah and untrusting That's like the, i've already got that part of my villain arc under control being super paranoid
1: check got, check now you just now you just need like you know you need a breaking point
0: i do like, We'll see we'll see we'll figure it out <laughs> I'm sure it'll happen'll it'll oh
1: be we need to just like clip that now you just need a breaking point I do the Dungeons and dragons lore cast every week every Saturday or wherever you get it. your podcasts um, so as as the ship that tanis and and friends are on set sail it's pursued by blue dragons led by Kitiara and in desperation this helms this helmsman Sails the ship into the deadly maelstrom at the heart of the Blue Sea, or the Blood Sea, I'm sorry. And we talk about the Maelstrom in the Patron Plus installment to the War of the Lance. Uh seeking to escape capture by the Dark Queen. Again, the the Dragon Armies seem to be after this this fella, but not exactly sure why, and he doesn't seem keen on letting himself get captured. I mean, would you? Right. Right. So as the ship is caught in by the mighty pool of the Whirlpool, Racelin mm-hmm. uses his dragon orb to abandon his fellows and his brother, setting himself on his own path towards the future. So he just dips mm. out. So He just dips? He just burns off on these fools. Rude. So abandoned by Raceline with the blue dragons and Kitiara driven off by the maelstrom, the boat is dragged beneath the waves. And the companions awaken to find themselves in the undersea ruins of Istar, where they have been taken by the dark and sea elves that saved them. Again, oh. why Istar is underwater is in the patron plus installment where we talk about the cataclysm, uh-huh. but freaking sea elves. Awesome. I love it. Same. So Tannis is able to convince the sea elves that even under the sea, they would not be safe from the dark Queens, evil designs of world conquest and they're finally able to convince the Darganesti to return them to the surface. And they do so and escort them to a small fishing village, removing much of their memories of Istar and the sea elves, although uh, Karaman and Tika retain some memories, particularly of their newly forged bond.
0: Hmm. Oh. Oh, my. Oh, my. Uh,
1: A special force of knights aided by the elven prince, Gilthanus, and the silver dragon, Dargent, and now a copper dragon by the name of Symbol uh, successfully infiltrate the city of Sanction, which is essentially Dragon Army, like Dark Queen HQ. Got it. Discovering the secret of keeping (laughs) the good dragons out of the war. And what's revealed is that many of the captured good dragon eggs had been used to create draconians. And so once they discover that, the metallic dragons are freed from their oath and swiftly enter the war and even the odds. So now we've got, we got dragon fights, baby. Come on.
0: I'm here for it. Love dragon fights.
1: After the battle uh, at the High Cleric's uh, Claris Tower, Lorana convinces the Lord of Palanthus of the city's danger from the dragon armies, despite treaties made between the city and the Dark Queen forces saying like, look, hey, like th- those treaties didn't save the Sylvanesti." Like they may, hey, they, they they did that too. Like, look what they're at. Mm-hmm. And so Lord Gunthar's like, you know what, you're right, places control of his armies in her hands. And if you were wondering what happened to Raceland, well, thanks to the dragon orb, a battered and weakened Raceland shows up at the steps of the great library in Palanthas, where, due to a strange pack with Astinus, he is granted access to the spellbooks of Fistandalantis. That have been stored there so essentially this wizard is now granted access to the greatest spell like the, the the all the spell books of one of the greatest wizards of all time so it'd be like if like we were like dropped in like wizards of the coast hq with like every single D book ever like we would get some reading done for sure <laughs>
0: Oh my gosh, it would be glorious. If I could pause time for everybody else, that's what I would use it for, is reading. Right,
1: right. And so with the arrival of the metallic dragons and the aid of the dragon lances forged by Theros Ironfeld and then other dragon lances that are discovered in hidden caches, the forces of the Whitestone Council are finally able to take the offensive and they're able to claim vital victories, including Flint, Tasselhoff, and a bronze dragon by the name of Fireflash Capturing Kitiara's second in command. Oh. So moving on to the summer, the armies of the White Stone Council begin striking back and reclaiming much of Salomnia. In fact, uh Ariakan, son of the self-proclaimed Emperor of Anselm, Lord Ariakus, is mm-hmm. taken prisoner by the Salamic Knights. So like things are looking up finally. For the first time in the war, things are looking good for the for the good guys. It's about time. It's about time. It the dragon armies time counter by unleashing their reserve forces including five flying fortresses but they their conquests are their conquests are already slipping away as the siege of Calamon by whitestone by the whitestone forces marks the beginning of the end like it's you know at this point it's you know just you know how long is it going to take not you know is is it going to happen but the writing's on the wall at this point with you know what right. with the emergence of the metallic good dragons of light the, the dragon lances, uh, you know, there's 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 not much keeping the heroes from, from finally winning. Uh, Lorana makes plans to march her white stone forces across Estwild to assault the Vale of Naraka, the stronghold of Takis's forces. But as the Golden General plans to make her march eastward, she receives a missive from Kitiara offering to trade a wounded Tannis for the return of Bacaris, the one that the second in command that was captured previously. So it's like, Hey, like I've got Tannis. Let's just, let's do, uh, let's, uh, you know, do, let's do a, a trade. yeah, let's do a, um, uh, prisoner swap. So despite misgivings from Flint and Tasselhoff, you know, like obviously this is probably a trap. Lorana takes Barakas away from Kalamon, leaving her army behind, and heads to the appointed meeting place with only Flint and Tasselhoff at her side. And there, they are met by none other than Lord Soth, the Death Knight whose loyalty to Kitiara is truly undying. In the confusion, Bakaris assaults Lorana, but he is struck down by Tasselhoff, and then the Death Knight, Lord Soth, kidnaps Lorana, takes her prisoner so it's a just it's a huge you know it's a huge you know kerfuffle
0: it sounds like a pile of malarkey
1: it's shenanigans and malarkey shenanigans are afoot for sure malarkey. uh in kalamon Tasselhoff and flint reunite with tanis and the others telling tanis of lorana's capture so the heroes head southeast once again meeting with the eccentric wizard fisben yeah and Meanwhile, Barum, that helmsman of the ship that sailed into the Maelstrom, the one that mm-hmm. uh, that you know for some reason the dragon armies were searching for him, and we weren't exactly sure why.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know,
1: he's terrified of encountering the Dark Queen and attempts to escape them. It, uh, attempts to uh, get away from Tasselhoff and Flint and all them, uh, but yeah. he's prevented by Flint. Oh. Unfortunately, Flint has a heart attack. Oh geez! Like while this is happening. And everyone else comes in to see Barum sort of like standing over a now like you know prone and possibly oh, dead no. Flint. <laughs> right. Uh however it's not Flint... what
0: it looks like.
1: Exactly. I mean it's one of those like ah okay, look, look, I know what it I know what it looks like. Um uh, however, Flint's body is magically whisked away by Fisben before anything can happen. However, they feel like they picked that Flint, you know, Tannis and and uh and Tasselhoff. Believe that Flint was killed by Barum and enraged, Tanis tries to kill Barum, believing him to be responsible for his friend's death.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But there's a curse on Barum that prevents him from truly dying. Oh. And it is here where Barum reveals the full truth behind his origins and the reason he fears the Dark Queen and why she fears him. So, Barum, whose last name is Everman. Baron Everman, as in he's ever a man, was yeah. once a normal dude who uh, found some broken columns with gems in them while hunting with his sister Jocelyn. Mm-hmm. They scuffled over a particularly large green gem. And during the scuffle, it got scratched. And for some reason, that really pissed Baron off. I guess he wanted to sell it. And, you know, that scratch is an imperfection, so he wouldn't get as much. And he shoves his sister accidentally killing her when her head hits a rock oh. and it it traps her spirit in one of the columns and it's at this point that Takesis embeds the gem in his chest and as a result he's basically immortal um... like he cannot be killed he like he essentially wanders around Kryn like dying but always coming back and so he's that's cursed absolutely definitely cursed yeah it's it's definitely cursed <laughs> that's a uh, curse but that's why he's so adamant about not getting me caught by the dragon armies because yeah if if he is able to free his sister from being trapped in that column from having her you know her spirit being trapped in that column yeah. they can use that to seal away the dark queen however if the dark queen captures them well, obviously she'll prevent him from ever doing that and right so then she can she'll never be sealed away mhm so She's trying to capture him so that she can't get sealed away. He's trying to stay away from her so he won't get captured. Like, and so you can see, like you can see the situation we're in.
0: It's a little bit of a little bit of a pickle. I do say this,
1: so. this only serves to strengthen the belief that Tannis and the others have that they got to take Brerum with them as they seek to rescue the captured Lorana. Mm-hmm. So when the companions arrive in Naraka, Tannis has the others infiltrate the temple while he seeks out Kitiara, offering himself in exchange for Lorana. Kitiara accepts this offer, although villain's going to villain. She plans right. on betraying her word. Surprise, <gasps> surprise. No. So she tells Tannis that if he strikes down Ariacus, you know, the, the self-proclaimed emperor of Ancelin, and brings her his crown of power, the one that he wears, that she will allow Lorana to go free. And so as Kitiara maneuvers Tannis into position, she discovers a black-robed Racelin among the ranks of the Dark Queen's forces. Oh. So the black robes indicate, you know, that they are not a good wizard anymore. You know, Racelin used to wear red robes because he's a good guy and now he's wearing black robes, but you know, oh. he's still Racelin, so we're not exactly sure what's going on. So what it does happen is Raceland tells Tannis that he will remove Ariakas' magical protections, providing him with the opportunity he needs to strike. So as Tannis is preparing to move against Ariokas, the others are investigating the Dark Temple that the Queen of Darkness has built upon the Foundation Stone. And beneath this temple, they're discovered by a draconian assassin loyal to Kitiara, who you know brings his, his, his forces, his posse, his homies, to mm-hmm. fight the companions. And then horrifyingly, before their own eyes, the events that were revealed in the prophetic nightmares of the Sylvanesti Forest begin to occur. Like all those like, horrible oh. things that could have happened to them. Uh-huh. They start to happen. Oh. Man. As one as Past one by it. one, they seem to fall against the sheer number of the enemy. Yeah, it's mm. so this is. I thought we were doing so well. What is happening? However, it is the appearance of Raceling himself that enables the prophesied events to change, as the wizard lends his aid, reuniting Barum with the spirit of his sister, Jasla. So Barum throws himself upon the foundation stone and is finally able to embrace true death. And with Barum's death binding the foundation stone, the Dark Queen's connection with the physical realm is torn. And the temple begins to fall apart, and in this confusion, Tannis is able to strike down Ariacus and gain the crown of power. You know, so he could give it to uh, 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 Kitiana and, and free mm-hmm. Lorana. The mm-hmm. Dragon High Lords and their forces fall to fighting one another over gaining control of the crown, giving Tannis and Lorana the opportunity to escape the crumbling temple, and they're met by Kitiara. Who allows them to leave together, but all the while she taunts Lorana, saying that Tannis will never forget her. So,
0: I mean, yeah, you're kind of crazy, honey.
1: That's wild. It's like she's like, I'm going to let you live, but just know that your dude's never going to get over his ex.
0: Like, oh, ultimate mean girls.
1: That's like Regina George could never could never as they escape lord soth appears and hands kitiara the crown of power and the two leave jointly with their own plans in mind Uh, the companions are then reunited outside the ruins of the temple where fizzbin shows up and reveals himself to be none other than the god paladine of course he congratulates the companions wishing them a fond farewell and disappears And in the night sky, both the constellations of Tachesis and Paladine return to their normal positions, uh, threatening each other in eternal conflict. So with the defeat of the Dark Queen, uh, her dragon armies scatter across Anselm, retreating to remote corners of the continent. Uh, Dragons, both metallic and chromatic, retreat as well, although they can still be seen occasionally soaring through the skies and over the course of the next year in 353 AC the white stone forces continue to scour the land hunting down the remnants of the dragon armies and while they still occupy uh, much of central eastern and southern Ansalon, they are no longer bound together under the dark queen so each dragon army and surviving leadership has their own goals and plans and so yeah. as a result like this sort of splintered mindset makes it that much easier for a white count- the white stone council to um to do their job and hinder these plots and reduce their numbers.
0: Divide and conquer.
1: Right, exactly. And they sort of just like divided themselves.
0: They did the hard part.
1: Right. And then in the years to come, the following decades see a great change across Anselin as the continents recover from the ravages of the war. It is a time of healing, but also of confusion for the gods have returned after more than three centuries of absence. And mortals struggle to resolve the distrust and pain caused by the cataclysm and the shadow years. Unfortunately, looming ominously on the horizon is an event that will end the chapter of the fourth age and mark the beginning of Kryn's Fifth Age. Bum bum bum.
0: Bum, bum bum
1: bum. So there you have the War of the Lance.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: So it's going to be really interesting as, as far as like what aspect of this shadow of the Dark Queen takes place, right. and like, you know, and where does it fit in mm-hmm. at what point, you know, in this, uh, I think it's like about a three year campaign. Does this take place? Yeah. So I'm I'm excited. I cannot wait. I'm very excited. Finally, again, for mm. Dragonlance to show up in 5e. <sighs> it's been a Wizards long time coming. Been,
0: Wizards has been dropping art and little tidbits of information all over Twitter showing art for different people, different important characters and groups and things like that. So if you haven't been following that, that is also pretty good stuff.
1: I mean, the art's half the fun, right?
0: It is. I will always, that's, I know you're not supposed to judge books by their covers, but if their (laughs) art is real good, that one I'm picking up first. I mean, you got it
1: yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us again this week for the Dungeons and Dragons lorecast. We hope that you enjoyed yourself, and we hope that you come back next week for our next episode.
0: Absolutely. It's wonderful to uh get to uh chat with you about it.
1: Absolutely. My name is Sergio,
0: and I'm Mary.
1: Fare thee well, dear listener, and until we meet again. May all your 20s be natural. Thanks for listening to the Dungeons and Dragons Lorecast. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with a friend, following us on Twitter at dndlorecast, or jumping on the Robots Radio Discord to chat more with us about Dungeons and Dragons. We'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to a Robots Radio Podcast.
0: Smart shows, for interesting people. Check out all the shows at robotsradio.net.